if I understand that I'm not what I do, but rather I'm a child of God, and that I'm not what I experience, but I'm a new creation in Christ. And I'm not who I know, but I'm. But actually, my identity is based on the fact that I am known by our loving Savior Jesus. That I'm not what I own, but I'm complete in Jesus. That I'm not who I raise, but I'm God's masterpiece. And I'm not my past because there's freedom from all condemnation in Christ Jesus. Like if if we lived by the truth, the seven truths rather than the seven lies then there's no need for insecurity because we're completely secure. And then there's actually no need for comparison (laughs) because why would we compare when we're complete in Christ? Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Filter. On this show, we recognize that the world can be a confusing place to live in. And what I seek to do in this show is to equip you to live with biblical clarity in our confusing world so that you can face the chaos of life with wisdom, integrity, and courage. One of the core parts of all of our lives is work. Maybe you love it. Maybe you hate it. Maybe you're going through a transition at work, or maybe you're aspiring to to work one day. Uh, but wherever you are, it, it's something that we have to work through. And especially as Christians, we have to think, uh, what does it mean to work as a Christian and to work in in uh, being faithful in my relationship with God? What is the God's calling on my life and what does he desire of me? And so on and so on. And then uh, battling against the things that the world tells us about work. My guest on today's show uh, has written an excellent book and has so much wisdom for us, specifically on this topic of identifying the lies that we tend to believe and the lies that we're told from uh, from the world about what work is and what it means, and then uh, and, and then addressing those with truths from Scripture. Our guest today is my friend Daniel M. Daniel is a great guy, and I really had an awesome conversation with him on this show today. If you haven't heard from Daniel, Daniel is the lead pastor of Beulah Alliance Church in Edmonton, Alberta, in Canada. Today we're talking about his latest book, which is called You Are What You Do, which is a lie, and six other lies about work, life, and love. He's also the author of two other books, including one on church ministry and leadership called No Silver Bullets, Five Small Shifts That Will Transform Your Ministry, as well as uh, the book that he co-authored with Ed Stetzer called Planting Missional Churches. In addition to being a pastor and author, uh, Daniel is also a podcaster. Uh, he hosts two different podcasts. One is on uh, church planting and church multiplication called the New Churches Q&A Podcast. And he also co-hosts another one with his wife, wife Christina, uh, on marriage and parenting called the M Between Podcasts. I love both those podcasts. I've been following them both for years. Love them. They're excellent. In addition to uh, to all this, uh, Daniel has an MA in Global Leadership from Fuller Seminary. He's worked in a wide variety of locations across the world in major cities, uh, and in, 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 he's worked in churches ranging from 100 people to 50,000 people. Uh, he's also worked for Lifeway Leadership uh, before, right before he went back to Beulah Alliance Church, where he's at now. You'll get to hear more about his story in this episode uh, and the lessons he had to learn from it. Uh, before we jump into it, while you're here, let me remind you to uh, to subscribe to Filter if you have not yet. If you're on YouTube, make sure you subscribe to our channel or subscribe to us on your favorite podcast podcasting platform, wherever there might be, so that you can get all future episodes like today's automatically in your 
podcast home or inbox. If you enjoyed today's episode, well, then would you do us a favor by liking this video on YouTube, uh, sharing it on your social media, sharing it with a friend, family, somebody you love that you think would help them out too. Another way that you can help us is by leaving us a rating review on wherever you listen to this podcast because that'll help to, to get the word out uh, and help other people find biblical clarity in our confusing world. Well, like I already said, I loved this conversation that I got to have with my friend Daniel. Daniel is an awesome guy. We got to really get into some good stuff here, and I think you're going to love it too. So without any further delay, let's jump into my conversation with Daniel M. Daniel, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be with you, Aaron. Yeah, well, I'm really excited that you join us today. Uh, I've been really looking forward to getting to have this conversation today. Uh, you and I uh, got to know each other, uh, became friends several years ago, whenever you were working with uh, Lifeway Leadership and mm-hmm. NewChurches.com. You know, myself as a church planner was reaching out for information and help trying to understand uh, some of the aspects uh, of leadership dynamics in the church and church planting. And you were there as a huge help and you've been a help over the years. Uh, but since then, you've now shifted your roles and... Uh, going back into church ministry. Yeah. Uh, going back to your home in, uh, in Vancouver, right? Uh, well, Edmonton, Edmonton. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Edmonton, yeah. But, Canada. But I, I was, I am from Vancouver. So yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. I was a, a little off there. Um, I don't have the best Canadian geography. So. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. <laughs> uh, not, not even the best U S geography either, but, uh, so anyway, so you're, you're back in, pastoral church ministry. And Mm -hmm. even very recently, you had another kind of slight transition going from uh, going or going into the lead pastor role at your church. And so today we're going to be talking about work related to your book, uh, Your What You Do and Seven Other Lies About Work. Um, Just since you yourself has gone through a a big transition um, and really stepping up into your calling here, I know there's a lot of people who listen to this podcast who are uh, building their careers or they're trying to uh, follow a calling God's place in their life. Maybe they're trying to discern some callings God's place in their life. And mm. uh, they're kind of wondering what's on the other side of taking a step like that. And so uh, since I know it's only been a couple of weeks for you, but what have been some of your takeaways, lessons learned recently by stepping into this big role? Yeah. You know, I'm a bit hesitant um, and I'm questioning whether or not I should share what I'm going to share. I, Aaron, you you would completely understand uh, what I what I'll say uh, because we know each other and we're friends. Uh, but for all of your listeners who have no idea who I am, uh, I'm a bit hesitant because I don't want to come across as prideful. Um, but I just I just want to share uh, my experience and and really the landscape as to to what I've wrestled. Uh, and what I have wrestled with when I moved from Lifeway back up to Canada into this ministry. Okay, so all that to say, um, I do hope that you don't take this as me trying to show off or be prideful or anything like that. But um, yeah, yeah. okay, so I'll get into it. It was interesting when we were in Nashville and we were in the States for about five years, there were actually many people who came up and they were like, do you have the dream? You have... I mean, you have my dream job. Uh, You are serving the global church and you're also a teaching pastor at a church. And then when I shared with them that, yeah, I mean, really, I lead my life group and I preach every other week, but I don't do any other meetings at the church. Uh, No no counseling, nothing like that. (laughs) 
<laughs> and and they hear that dynamic and the fact that I was living in Nashville, they're like, dude, you have the dream life. Uh, and then they were like, oh, and Daniel, you've written these three books and you're consulting and you're speaking and you're doing this, that and the other. And and that's actually it's it's not something that I I tried to garner um, or I kind of reveled in. But it was it was just a really interesting observation that other people would make. And then this is what they would say after all of that. They would be like, so how do I do what you're doing? And inevitably, whether they verbally said that or not, um, that's what they were thinking. And I get it, right? I get it because um, throughout my life, there have been moments where I have seen someone do or live the life that I wouldn't want to envision myself. And I'm like, man, okay, I'm going to follow their paths or what school did they go to or what did they do? And you try to learn, right? And, 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 you know, there's biographies and all that stuff for a reason. And sometimes you read them to learn how to be um, a little bit more like them and how, or how not to be. <laughs> right. Um, but that, that's kind of, it, it was really, it, it really caused me to stop. Um, and I was a bit taken aback when someone asked me that question first. And I actually saw it in their eyes that they were envying me. And I was like, whoa, 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 okay, wait, let's just let's just hold off. Uh, if you've put me on a pedestal, please don't do that. Um, because honestly, I have no idea how I uh came to <laughs> like how how I came to this position myself. And I would share with them, hey, you know what? I mean, years ago, I had a strategic plan for my wife and I and for our family as to what we were going to do and where we were going to be and the life that we were going to live until we were 85 years old. And I had our lives completely mapped out because I heard that that's a good thing to do. And I'm, I'm strategic in nature. You know, it's one of my strengths finders. And, and you know, there's, you know, I had that, right? And I shared this with them. And then I was like, but you know what? There came a point in my relationship with God where I felt like I was idolizing that and a good thing. I love what Tim Keller says about idols, right? When a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, mm -hmm. right? It becomes yeah. an idol. And it had become my, my the plan, the master plan for my life that I had put together because I wanted to be quote unquote responsible you know, and I'm any I'm a three on the Enneagram too. So there's like a lot of achiever in me too. And I'm a pretty ambitious guy. I literally put it all at the foot of the cross. And I was like, okay, Jesus, I surrender it all. And I'm just going to focus on being faithful. Being faithful with whatever you have chosen to place in my path. Yes, I'm going to keep on learning. Yes, I'm going to keep on growing. And yes, if I have projects... I want to work on, yeah, I'll keep on working on them, but forgive me for placing my career and work as an idol. And I, I just, I just laid it down and I remember doing that and ripping it up, uh, that plan and just, just deciding on a daily basis to be faithful. Well, fast forward, what, eight years, um, I'm now at the end and we just got our green cards and, you know, I've been living this life in Nashville and it's just been incredible. And then God, um, and then, and then, and then I come up, to, okay. If anyone ever asks you to guest preach, <laughs> you know, you don't, don't think it's only just about guest preaching. They might actually be trying to, to test you out in one way or the other. But, but I was invited to guest preach back at the church I'd served at Beulah. I'm lead pastor at Beulah right now. And I'd served there before I went to Lifeway. 
Uh, and I went back and I thought that's all it was going to be. And, and I, I wanted to see all our friends and the church family. And we loved, loved, loved Beulah and Edmonton. And we just hadn't been back. Uh, and it was during that time when I was here uh, leading a staff retreat and guest preaching where the current lead, um, who at that point was year, lead for 28 years, the church was like in its 98th year of ministry, uh, asked if I'd pray about coming back and succeeding him. And that's where I was like, yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I love, like, why would I want to move? Uh, I, I love Nashville. We love our life. And, but I told him, I was like, you know what? But it's interesting how you ask because a few months ago, my wife and I had been sensing that God was beginning to unsettle our hearts. And we thought that's just because we got our green cards and maybe God was, you know, now that we can legally move and work for someone else other than Lifeway, maybe that's what was going to happen. Uh, mm. And then when I said that, kid you not, uh, Keith said, well, that's interesting because I've been praying that God would unsettle someone's heart. And that's what started the journey for us in actually praying about and uprooting our family and moving back to Canada and doing this no longer. It ended up being about a year and a half intentional process uh, for me to become lead pastor at this church. And I mean, it, it, it happened last month at the time of this recording. Church is 100 years old. I came after a guy who's probably one of the most gifted pastors. He's been leading for 30 years. He's He has five generations. His grandparents went to the church. Like, and the, the church has planted over 60 churches. It's just, there's such legacy in the church. Um, and if your listeners had connected with me through my writing or through new churches and all that stuff, you know, you all know how passionate I am about church planning and, and that's, and, and, you know, it's kind of like, but you're going to a, a, a legacy church. And I was like, yeah, but, but look at the legacy it's church planting. Yeah. <laughs> and the elders were like, we want a lead pastor who is going to lead us toward multiplication again mm -hmm. um and and that's that's so long story short um it was it's you know i wanted to share all that to get just give some background um and to give some color commentary around what has happened over these last several years yeah that's excellent and so you're really living through what it means to work in light of god's calling and mm, to yeah and, and what what does work mean um, whenever we as Christians are wanting to uh, be faithful in our relationship with our with our Lord and yeah, Savior, yeah, and so uh, and so you're really living through those, those things and not just writing about them, hmm. and so hmm. uh, and that's what. But we are talking today about uh, you know the book that you wrote and and about work in general. Mm -hmm. What is it that uh, that inspired you to to write the book? Uh, you are what you do. Yeah, and and that's where the subtitle is so important, right? Because I don't actually believe that you are what you do, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Uh, it's a lie. It's it's one of seven lies um, in in the book that I talk about. But really, what inspired it? And this is this is pre pandemic. Uh, I had stumbled across research about the gig economy, and that in the U.S., Canada, U.K., Australia, lots of different of these uh, of, of countries there is actually this rapid rise of people with a side hustle. And it was almost like this thing where all of a sudden it was normal to have a side hustle. Like you, people weren't asking, 
uh, do you have a side hustle? The question turned into what's your side hustle? And if you didn't have a side hustle, you were funding someone else's side hustle. Uh, and I think all throughout the pandemic, we funded people's side hustles because you ordered food via delivery apps or took Ubers or maybe not Ubers anymore, but you're doing other things, getting your groceries delivered or whatever else it is uh, where there's just this sense where, man, this side hustle culture, which is encapsulated by the word, the gig economy, it's a side gig, had just been rapidly rising under the surface. So it was initially anecdotal. And then I started doing some research and I was like, oh my goodness, like it's almost half of the population Half wow. of the like, just think, almost half had it. Not and and it, and if and if they didn't have a side hustle, they were almost a hundred percent of people were funding someone else's side hustle. So so when I came across that realization, I was like, okay, how is that actually affecting life? What is this actually doing to us? When before, if you couldn't afford something, you would put it on a credit card. Um, maybe your listeners are old enough to know what layaway is and, and that's what you did mm -hmm. before your credit card. But I think most of us understand, yeah, if you couldn't afford something, you put on a credit card and then you'd work to pay it off um, or you would just try to get another job. But what was your other job? A job with a time and with a set schedule and you couldn't be your own boss. You had to work for someone else and there was no flexibility. So as I dug into that word flexibility, I was like, okay, wait a second. Is actually, is there a correlation between the gig economy rapidly rising with our desire for freedom and flexibility? Hmm. And then it actually came together and I was like, oh my goodness, the idol and the thing that is driving our culture and our society is a pursuit for freedom and flexibility. You see someone's life on Instagram and you're like, I want to have that flexibility to be able to go on that vacation or I want to have the freedom to be able to go and do whatever I want or or I want this or I'm going to do my education uh, and, and get another degree because that's going to give me more freedom and flexibility or I'm going to do this job so I can make more money so that I can gain more freedom and flexibility, right? You want to, mm -hmm. we, we want to be in control of our lives and the gig economy actually for the first time in, in in i think all of humanity i might be wrong on that so i'm not you know i didn't publish that piece of it but as we're reflecting here i really do think the gig economy has given us an opportunity to control our level of freedom and flexibility by just gigging a little bit more all right you're your own boss the only reason your friend has that new device and you don't is cuz you're you're watching Netflix or you're watching Loki. And and by the way, Loki's awesome. Uh, <laughs> Disney Plus. But you're doing that whereas they're they're working. What just download this app and you or go sell stuff on Facebook Marketplace or go do hustle, right? Hustle, 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 and then you can live that life too. But you know, I mean the reality is you do that and it's it's you just keep on chasing it and you're never actually going to achieve that freedom and flexibility through work or through anything else like that. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and that's what you're trying to get at in the book is is sort of the underlying lies and myths, desires that's mm -hmm. driving uh the rise in the gig economy. And whenever I think oh, of the totally, gig economy yeah. and, and 
and whatnot, I think a lot of hustle culture. Yes. Totally. And, think, and that's what you're talking about, right? And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you see it all over social media and you see, you know, you, you see it in, in figures like, uh, like Gary V who will totally po- <laughs> post videos of, you know, where he's, you know, not really screaming, but talking in a o- very overly aggressive tone <laughs> about how, uh, it, you know, you have no reason to complain. You're not achieving your dreams because whenever you get home from work, you can spend an hour with your kids and then go back to your office and start working on the next thing. Yeah. And, you know, people are just ripping them up and down in the comments. Like, for real, I'm going to spend an hour a day with my family. Well, or, and that's, uh, I, or I saw this other yeah. meme where it said, sure, you might have a nine to five, but what are you doing from 7 p.m. to 2 a.m.? Yes, exactly. You know, same thing there. I'm thinking this had to be a joke, right? And so I go yeah. and look at the page. And I'm like, no, they're serious. It's not a no. It's not a sarcasm page. They're being yeah. serious. And, and and you have the book, right? The four hour work week that I think to one extent really uh, began accelerating this sort of thinking. I think Gary Vee's the one who said, um, you know, I'm gonna win or I'm better because I'm out. I'm going to outwork everyone. Or there's something like that, right? Out hustle and outdo and, and, and there's just this. And, and then you know what? Actually, how much of a relationship is there between hustle culture and burnout culture now, right? Where burnout is a badge of honor. And <laughs> how is that a badge of honor? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's bizarre. Yeah. But that's the culture we live in right now, right? Yeah. And so what, what are some of the most unhealthy aspects of hustle culture that you, and some of the major lies that you try to uh, address in your book? Yeah. Hustle culture, I believe, is fueled by a desire for freedom and control. So when you look at the seven lies that I present in the book, all seven lies are really... Uh, they're really entryways or gateways into this ultimate lie that you can be in control of your life. You can have ultimate freedom and ultimate flexibility, right? And all of them are the path to get that. So when we look at the hustle cultures, everyone's going to be motivated in a different way, right? You even look at this last year and a half um, well, since the pandemic started and, you know, you might have a listener listening in and be like, yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, I have balance in life and I don't overwork. I'm not like that. Uh, but perhaps you're a parent and you believe in the lie that you are who you raise. And perhaps over this last year, you have, you have just derived so much of your happiness and your sorrow because you're either incredible at schooling your kids online or uh, you were you you were just like pulling out your hair because you had no idea what you were doing and everything was crumbling this uh, and you're just like you just felt so bad because you're like oh I'm gonna I'm destroying my child I'm permanently affecting them for the rest of their lives because I can't do this. and you know we do we do these things right I mean we we allow these lies to we believe in these lies and they convince us that man if I only do this better then I'm going to be happy or then I'm going to achieve freedom. Then I'm going to achieve flexibility. And it's so subtle, right? It's so subtle. And that's why I tease out uh, the ultimate life, freedom and flexibility through these seven distinct lies, because we all have different things that'll trigger us um, and that we're more apt toward. Yeah. Why do you think that we're just generally speaking? Cause I, I think 
so many people can resonate with what you were just saying, which was so good. Mm-hmm. But why do you think that we're so susceptible to those lies? <laughs> that's Aaron. That's a really good question. Um, why are we so susceptible to these lies? Isn't it insecurity? I mean, you look at hustle culture, how is hustle culture fueled? It's fueled by comparison, Mm. right? And it's fueled by, I mean, okay, seriously, why do we feel the need to go on vacation every year? Right? Like, Mm -hmm. Like, how is that even a normal thing or multiple times a year? Like, what percentage of the world <laughs> has even been on an airplane? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Like it's 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 like first world problems that we're talking about here. I mean, I remember growing up, we went on maybe two vacations or three vacations. I mean, my mom did Airbnb before Airbnb was a thing. I mean, my parents mm-hmm. were like the epitome of hustle culture because my dad immigrated from Korea in the 70s with $20. And wow. he spent $10 of it in Japan on a layover buying a watch because Japanese people make good watches. And he came to Canada with $10. That's all he had. And he built this life for my three sisters and I uh, with my mom, like entrepreneur, building one thing after another, doing it, just hustle, 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 hustle. So we could do that. And, you know, I look at the environment that I grew up in and I look at this life that I think for so many people, it's like, man, I deserve this. I deserve to go on vacation. I deserve to own a Peloton or I deserve to go there, you know, and, and we, we want this sort of life, but what's fueling it? Comparison. Yeah. And when we compare and we find ourselves lacking, what do we then feel? Insecurity. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and you look at these seven lies And it's like, okay, wait a second. So what's the answer? If I understand that I'm not what I do, but rather I'm a child of God, and that I'm not what I experience, but I'm a new creation in Christ, and I'm not who I know, but but actually my identity is based on the fact that I am known by our loving savior, Jesus, that I'm not what I own, but I'm complete in Jesus, that I'm not who I raise, but I'm God's masterpiece. And I'm not my past because there's freedom from all condemnation in Christ Jesus. Like if, if we lived by the truth, the seven truths rather than the seven lies, then there's no need for insecurity because we're completely secure. And then there's actually no need for comparison <laughs> because yeah. Why would we compare when we're complete in Christ? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's great. And I, I think that you, you really nailed it with that being that, uh, that w- what's driving it is that, that comparison and insecurity. Um, yeah, I, I think that has to be one of, one of the main drivers for sure. Um, so even broader than just talking about hustle culture and how we address these these lies that come along with hustle culture and the, the, the things that drive people to burn out, how has scripture uh, informed your view of, of work? And even when approaching this topic of, of hustle culture, burnout, I know you, you got into it some there by talking about replacing mm-hmm. those lies with the truths. Um, but, but what does scripture show us in what you've learned 
uh, about what, what does that to say have to say about the work that we do? Yeah. Okay. So that's that's a great question because when we look at when we examine the way that we view work and view life, uh, you're right. We need to we need to measure it against scripture and the life that God intends for us. And when you look all the way to the beginning of the Bible, to Genesis, um, we actually read about a six-day work week, not a five-day work week, <laughs> right? Like, I, I honestly, honestly, I've, I've thought about this so much where I'm like, why do people think that, like, a five-day work week is the thing? Like, why do you need to have two days off? Like, what's the deal with that? And as I, from my teenage years had been beginning to practice the Sabbath and to the point where I was convicted and I was like, okay, you know what? To the point where I'm not going to do any homework on my Sabbath, right? I'm not going to do any work. I'm not going to do any homework. Even if I have a test the next day, I'm not going to study for it because I'm going to see what happens if I work harder? Because that's that's actually what you end up having to do. You have to work harder for six days so that you can rest on the seventh and and do things not the things that you have to do, but do things that you get to do, um, and do things that refuel and rejuvenate and 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 restore you and and bring about a greater level of righteousness. And righteousness is essentially just right relatedness. So right relatedness between you and God, right relatedness uh, between you and yourself and you and others and and et cetera. Right. So how do we do that? And when I when I look at that, I actually I actually see a rhythm of life where you know what we can hustle for six days. I'm not against hustling. I got I, I like, like I have a side hustle, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I I write books and I podcast and I and I'm also a pastor and you know there's lots of things where I'm like I'm for that. Uh, if you're if if there's if there's a sense of not balance but there's a sense of rhythm in the way and, and ebbs and flows in the way that you live. And the foundation of, the foundation of that is Sabbath. So when we look at that, it's like, okay, yeah, what does the Bible say about work? Um, maybe the flip question is, what does the Bible say about rest? And how do we focus on the rest side, right? And then realize, okay, well, work has to flow out of rest rather than, hey, we need to work to rest. Wow, that's good. That's good. And so how has that work, worked its way out in, in your own life? I mean, if you don't mind sharing some more, uh, like personally, what does it look like for you being someone who has a full-time job, side hustles? Mm-hmm. How do you how do you balance that out? Because, you know, on the surface level, it seems like there's a huge imbalance there. Six yeah. days versus one. So practically mm-hmm. speaking, um, how does that play out in your life? What does it look like? Uh, like I said, if you don't mind sharing, like how are you balancing out work and rest? Uh, side hustle time, family time, and so on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I I think the first thing is to recognize what does refuel you and what is rest. Uh, Is rest not working? uh, Or is rest um, doing what gives you energy? Is rest doing what refuels you? So I think there needs to be that conversation around what exactly is rest. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of people who quote unquote, are rested, uh, but their brain is fried and they're not effective in their day job or in life because rest for them is zoning out in front of a screen. 
right? Mm. And I'm not anti that. In fact, uh, we have a Switch and I have three kids, 11, 10, and 6. And I love playing Nintendo Switch with them, right? And, and you know what? I love watching uh, shows and movies and I love all of that. And that's that's fine. There's a sense of that. But if that's if 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 binging on that or substances or anything else like that is your definition of rest, then I mean you gotta think, okay, is this refueling all other aspects of my life? Or is this just adding to it? And the only reason I think it's rest is because I'm not actually working and getting paid for it. Right. So, so that's the first thing that we need to wrestle through. Right. Personally, though, um, what does my uh, rest look like? Well, there's daily points of that for me. And then there's the weekly rhythm of that for me. And then there's the annual rhythm of that for me, too. You know, I sincerely believe that we should never need vacation. Okay. Mm. If, if we're, if you find yourself crawling into vacation, then I don't think you're daily and weekly resting. Okay. Now there are moments where there's heavy busyness, um, and and you know in in ministry there's seasons of busyness too. But man, if you find yourself always crawling into that, then you then there's imbalance on the day side of things. Okay. So from a practical standpoint, for me, I mean, I wake up at about five forty-five to six o'clock ish in the morning, uh, and right away I um, I. So we, we just, my, my rhythms right now are a little bit different because we just bought a new dog. Our dog of 13 years had passed away. And, mm. and so we're like massive puppy training right now. Um, so pre puppy training, uh, wake up, I spend, um, an hour in the word and with God, and then I'll go 30 minutes to an hour of working out exercise. Um, and then I'll begin my day, right. Uh, my work day from that perspective. Now with the puppy, uh, it's, it's basically, it's all, it's, it's basically still around two hours of exercise mm-hmm. slash time with God, but it's mm-hmm. a little bit more interrupted because it's like, I got to feed the dog and then put her in her cage and then I can have my time with God. Uh, yeah. so, and then I'm walking a lot because you got to walk the dog and, and I'm doing a lot of praying in and through that rather mm-hmm. than at my desk in front of a candle. Um, so there's yeah. different seasons of that, but, but really before I work, before I even touch my devices or do anything like that, um, always time in the word and in exercise. So that's how I start my days. Um, and I've actually found that by starting my day in that way, um, you know, I never understood what, what Luther said. Uh, I think he said something like the more busy I am, the more time I'm going to spend with God. Uh, and for the longest time, I was like, how does that even make sense? And I was like, oh, you know, actually, it really makes sense. <laughs> that guy was onto something. Um, yeah. So so that's actually incredibly rejuvenating and refueling before the day even starts. And then I work. Uh, and then I put a full day work in. And then I come home and spend time uninterrupted, no devices with my kids and my family and then uh, we're just hanging out and connecting all the way up until bedtime. Uh, and then after bedtime, that's when um, after bedtime, I'll either hang out with my wife, uh, we'll do something together, or we'll do our side hustle. We'll do a podcast, do this, that, or the other. Um, and that's usually that time we'll do that. So that's on a daily basis. And then Fridays are our Sabbath because I'm a pastor uh, and I work on Sunday. Um, so Fridays are our Sabbath where, yeah, we're just, we're not at, we're not a no device family, um, but it's a it's a it's a time where we just 
rest and we just do whatever we want to do and have fun and and connect and explore and uh do different things like that um like we'll put in errands here and there as well but uh we're so we're not religiously against that um but there is definitely that sense of man yeah let's we get to do this right we get to do this we have lots of fun uh and then there's the vacation yeah. rhythms too where we try to shut off our devices um uh from the perspective of no social media so when we actually Sabbath, there's no social media, like it's zero, no emails, no social media every week on Fridays. Uh, and actually, and so there, so you see that rhythm of rest where on the daily basis, I'm not touching social media or emails in the morning um, mm -hmm. until I, I spend time with God and work out and all that. And on a weekly basis, there's, you know, nothing on Fridays. Uh, and then on an annual basis, when we're on vacation, we just shut all the social media and emails off. Yeah. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, I think it's great that you pointed out how uh, are are you resting and refilling all these different areas of your life? You know, yeah. so so not just uh, vegging out in front of Netflix and then letting your brain rot from you know just taking yeah. in mindless junk. Uh, yeah, but are you are you refilling yourself in all these different ways? And something that yeah. I, that I talk to people about uh, related on that subject is to look at your life as it being. Not just they, they think it's like one bucket, just like how does my mm. body feel? But to understand, mm. but you've got multiple buckets that you derive energy from yeah. on a day to day or week to week basis, and you need to make sure you're filling up all of them. Like, yes, there's your body, and so you need to be eating well and exercising and getting rest. But then there's your mind. There's mm -hmm. there's also there's the social bucket. And so I know mm -hmm. for myself and my family, a huge bucket that we refill on the weekends and Sabbaths is relational time. You know, we, yeah, we spend yeah. time with each other and time with our friends, time with uh, family. Uh, the, so yeah, the relational bucket and then obviously the spiritual bucket. And so uh, is your rest refilling all those things? Yeah, completely. Yeah. yeah. That's a good so, way of putting it. What is your, what is your vision and hope behind having written this book, getting it out there? You know, I mean, the, the, the book's been out for a while, but you're still, like doing podcasts and talking about it. So you obviously still care about it, um, yeah. even beyond just sales, right? But yeah. what's your vision and hope for the book? In other words, like what do you what is your hope for the potential if people buy it, read it, and apply it? Yeah, okay. So this this is a really interesting question too, because I wrote the book pre-pandemic. Mm -hmm. And then it got published February of 2020. And then the NBA shut down. <laughs> I always link the COVID. I always link the start of COVID with NBA, <laughs> which I know it's not the reason. That's whenever it, it was real. Yeah, it was That's like, wait, was wait, real. wait, yeah. what? The NBA <laughs> is shutting down. Okay, yeah. so all that to say, it was um, it was really interesting because uh, I heard someone say, uh, and and I forget. It might have been Ann Voskamp that said this, but she said something like, hey, you know what? God has written all the books that have ever been written and that will ever be written. And he has chosen you to steward that message. Um, and when I was writing the book, um, I was reminded not of that, but of someone else who was like, hey, don't write something unless you feel like this is you're passionate enough about it and you want to steward it for the next 10, 15 years of your life. And for me, it was this sense of, I wrote this in a pre-pandemic world where everything was going up into the right 
And we felt like there was so much certainty and confidence in life. And that in a sense, if you build it, they'll come. And I am in control of my life. And if I want to go on that vacation or if I want a better school for my kids or if I want uh, to climb the career ladder, then I'm just going to hustle more, right? I'm going to do more. And you just, that was the world we lived in, right? And, 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 and you got to, you are who you know is one of the lies, one of the other lies, right? So if you can't hustle your way to a promotion, you relationally navigate your way to the mm. promotion too, right? And I saw so much of that, right? It was like, man, you're building your life. So many of us are building our lives around um, this pursuit underneath the surface of freedom and flexibility. And I was like, is it actually going to satisfy? And for me personally, it didn't, right? I mean, I wanted to, I like... I'm I, I'm ashamed to share what my plan for my life was. I'm not going to, <laughs> um, but it's like, man, you know what, Aaron? As I reflect back on that plan, there's so much hubris around it. But once I started living on a daily basis to say, Lord, here I am, I'm faithful. I just want to be faithful to you. I want to be a faithful son. I want to be a faithful father, a faithful husband. Uh, and I want to be a faithful child of God. My life today and what God has allowed me to accomplish today actually far exceeds what I had hoped to accomplish by 85. And that's like eight years, within eight years. Now, was that because I had small dreams? <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I did. But do you do you kind of see the point that I'm 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 trying to make here? It's like then God blew me out of the water when I just surrendered my future to Him. So that that was that was my hope, right? I'm like my hope pre pandemic was God. I pray that you would use this to help people realize that building our lives to achieve this, that, and the other, believing these lies, doing all this is not going to satisfy. And actually, I wrote this book in a way where it would be so easy to hand to a coworker or to your neighbor, whether they would call themselves a Christian or not. I wouldn't hand it to someone who was like anti-God um, um, or you know atheistic in that way. But if someone was interested right and they're interested in talking about spiritual things and 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 that I would this is a book where I would um I wrote it in a way where you could hand it to them and you could have a conversation with them as a christian with a a, a non-christian who is interested in in spiritual things and yeah. I wrote it in that way to be accessible to that manner because my passion and my heart was that god would shift and change hearts in and through this book and then covid hit and then I couldn't even focus on this because I was focusing on our church and, you know, everything else that was going on. And then we're kind of emerging out of this pandemic. And as I look back on the book, I was like, oh, my goodness, you know what? Um, more than ever, these lies have risen to the surface. Mm -hmm. And if you lost your job during the pandemic, you know, like I, this is an, this is not even a subtle lie that you that you might have believed that you are what you do. 
if you lost your job and you sunk into a hole of despair and you felt ashamed because you didn't know what you were going to do or what you were going to say, or you lost friends because of the election and because of all the political and racial turmoil that has happened and you thought they were a friend, but they're not, or you were ostracized because of something, man, you, your belief that you are who you know, um, has risen to the surface. Like all of these seven lies have actually risen to the surface because of the pandemic. Uh, whereas pre-pandemic, I kind of wrote it to help people see that the lies were real. Um, so my hope is that we don't go back to life as it was pre-pandemic, where we are just kind of unaware of all these things that are governing and leading our lives, but instead we educated. And now that we are self-aware, we actually um, base our lives on the truth on the other side rather than mm-hmm. the lies. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And, and, and as we've been talking and thinking about it, I, I completely wholeheartedly agree to that. I think that, that the book and this message is just all the more important now and, and, and all the more relevant uh, even more so maybe than it was before. Yeah. So I really hope that, you know, I have a huge audience on this podcast, so I hope we sell a ton of copies, but <laughs> no, but I really do hope that, uh, that everyone goes and, and gets a copy of you or what you do, um, because Thanks. it's a really, really important message. Aside from that, Daniel, um, any, anything that you're doing that you want to point people to, or just let people know how to get in contact with you, find out about what you're doing, uh, after listening to this podcast. Yeah. You know what? Um, Lots has gone on in my life in the last couple months. Um, and my dad passed away too. And mm-hmm. uh, he had been struggling with cancer for about a year and a half. So uh, typically I point people to danielm.com. That's my name. And you can find my social links there and information about the books. And But man, I have not been writing on danielm.com uh, that frequently or regularly at all because life has just been nuts. So um, if you want to connect with me there, you can find links to my socials there at Daniel Sangi. That's my Korean name, S-A-N-G-I. And uh, but yeah, you know, if you're interested in in what we just talked about, yeah, just Google or wherever books are sold. Just look up You Are What You Do, Daniel Lim, uh, and you'll find it. Awesome. Well, Daniel, thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us on the podcast today. Get to talk about these uh, these important topics. It was really great for me. I enjoyed this conversation, and I'm positive that the listeners will too. So, thanks a lot, Daniel. Love it. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for listening. I hope this episode provided you with biblical clarity to live with confidence in our confusing world. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast. Please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch up the latest from me, you can go to my website, AaronChamp.com. While you're there, subscribe to my newsletter so that you can be updated anytime I share new content. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Aaron M. Champ. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Until then, hold fast to the end.